Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up, he was the first undercover boss on the reality show and former corporate executive Larry O'Donnell spoke with me recently to discuss principles of servant leadership, principles that were taught and exhibited by our Savior. Plus, Dale Cryenkamp of Thriving Through Transitions offers a Christ-centered perspective for those who are facing unemployment, addressing some of the difficult issues, including matters of identity. Also, Nina Rosner of Greater Impact Ministries shares about pressures that married couples are facing during the COVID crisis and brings biblical insight into navigating through difficulty. And on this edition of The Intersection, Kenny Vaughn is founder of Shields of Strength, which are dog tags engraved with scripture that are used to encourage those in the military and law enforcement. In a recent conversation, he warned about the dangers of loving self in an unhealthy, unbiblical way. You'll be hearing material from that chat ahead. Finally, Tim Winter of the Parents Television Council gives an appraisal of a principal entertainment trend of 2020, the excessive amount of sexualized content being marketed to children by entertainment companies. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Larry O'Donnell is a former corporate leader and was the first leader to be featured in the reality TV series Undercover Boss while he was president and chief operating officer of Waste Management. He's written a book entitled Management Waste, Five Steps to Clean Up the Mess and Lead with Purpose, offering perspective on servant leadership, which was embraced by Jesus in his earthly ministry. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Larry O'Donnell now. The reason they wanted, they approached us to do the first one, the pilot episode, is because they actually had learned that I was actually going out into the field at three or four in the morning. I'd go, I was going, I was doing the undercover stuff, but not going undercover. In other words, my employees knew who I, I was. But I'd go out and meet with them and talk to them and answer their questions. And then I'd pick one of the drivers and say, uh, guess what? Today's your lucky day. I'm going to be your helper. I'm going to work the back of your truck all day. And, um, you know, some people thought that was crazy that the president of the company would spend all day picking up trash. But what I found is that was fantastic use of my time because I learned what was working, what wasn't working. I got great suggestions from our employees on how to improve our service to our customers. I learned what little things might be causing them frustrations in their job that I didn't even know about that could be eliminated very easily. Uh, so anyway, they weren't sure how the first one was going to come together, and they wanted uh, – when they, you know, got the cameras and what have you together, they at least wanted somebody who was comfortable in those roles. And I basically had a new job every day. I think they filmed 12 days and they picked the top four that they wanted for the show. Think of this concept. We're going to spend some time. We're going to camp out on it for just a little while. And that is this concept that was modeled to us by Christ, by Jesus in his earthly ministry, servant leadership. I think about that passage of Scripture that uh, Jesus, in which Jesus taught the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So 
at what point of your leadership journey did you really recognize that your are, are some of these principles of, of being a servant in leadership were actually tied into what the scriptures have to say? It was actually amazing to me to see how much the Bible does talk about leadership. And the verse that you just mentioned, that's the key verse, Matthew 20, 25 through 28, on servant leadership. And I, I love that, that scripture because when you look at it, actually what had happened were there were two disciples who actually asked their mom to go ask Jesus that when he ascends to his kingdom, they want to be on his right and left-hand side of his throne. So, of course, Jesus takes that opportunity to say, hey, look, it is not about being, uh, you know, lording it over like everybody else, in, 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 which is our typical leadership model we see today. I call it the top-down leadership model. That's what we see prevalent in, in our businesses today. It's I worked hard to get here. Everyone else is here to serve me. I paid my dues. I'm now the leader. And as long as you're mm. working hard to help me achieve our the goal I have, then great. Welcome to the team. Jesus said, actually references that and says, I do not want you to use that kind of top-down leadership model. He says, I came to serve, not to be served, and that's what I want you to do. And so that really captured my attention. Here's Jesus, all-powerful, God, King, and he, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve others, and he told us if we want to be great, we have to do the same thing. And so the more I started digging into it, and I capture a lot of the scripture that I found uh, throughout the Bible to support what what my book is all about, these five steps. And I, I narrowed it down to five steps, and I used the acronym CLEAN. And it stands for commitment, listening, empathy, accountability, and notice. And what I have found is when I, it, I haven't mastered all these, I'm not saying I'm the expert, and I hadn't gotten it right all the time. And that's why I wrote the book. It's the book that I wish somebody would have given me early in my career because I go through even many mistakes that I made in my career in, in learning that when I do get it right, when I apply these five principles, it is unbelievable, and it has led to some of the highest-performing leadership teams I've been on. Larry O'Donnell here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Larry O'Donnell. That is spelled O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L, LarryO'Donnell.com. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's the president of Thriving Through Transitions, Dale Cryenkamp, who addressed those who are unemployed and how God's promises can help sustain them during this difficult time. Also, as part of our overall conversation, he shared about how friends and family can stand with those without jobs. Here now from that conversation is Dale Cryenkamp. I think it's an opportunity to go back to God's promises for us. Um, he promises never to leave us, to never forsake us. He doesn't say it's always going to be an easy journey, but he promises to always be with us. And going back to Scripture, we're kind of reminded of all the ways in which God is there and has been there for us for as long as we've been around on this earth. 
And that becomes important because we so often want to lean on what we see and know today. So one of my favorite scriptures is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, because when we're leaning on what we know, we'll get even more scared. So it's a way to go back to Scripture to kind of get a solid foundation to help us make it through the tough times. And so when someone is in that situation of having lost his or her job, and they begin to search out the Scriptures and really receive the comfort and the stability that comes from God's promises— how do you see that people can really begin to take that next step? Because this could be a very debilitating, uh, an unsettling time period. So how do you find that people can kind of get back on their feet and begin, well, the the next step, the job search, or maybe even reevaluating their, their career track? Bob, you you hit uh, a key word that I want to come back to in a minute, that uh, the job search and and rethinking what do they do next. But I'll start with um, going back and say, how do we we use Scripture and how do we use this to help us move forward? And for me and for many others that I've seen, we have to get unstuck and let go of what happened. We didn't control the reason our job was lost. For the millions of people across this country and people in your area where you're serving right now, there are people that lost jobs that did nothing but walk in one day. And because of the pandemic and the economics, we're told, thanks, but we don't have a job for you anymore. But we have to get past that. So we don't control what happens, but we control our reactions and moving forward. And I think one of the most important things is to give it over to God. And that's just doesn't mean say, here it is, God. Sometimes it means we got to get it out of our system. We might need to close the doors to a room and just cry out, um, let it go, give it over to him. I often encourage people to write. Journaling is another way to get out and give it over to God. Um, or find someone to talk to, your pastor or Christian counselor, to get past that so that we can move forward. And as we begin to move forward, one of the things that we need to do is remember to pause and think about what's next, because so often when we lose a job, we just want to find the same type of job with another company. We just want to go from next to next. And maybe that's not part of the plan. Maybe it's time to stop and say, am I really having joy in my work? Am I usually, am I really using my gifts or is there something else that God might have planned for me? So as tough as it is being unemployed, it's really a great time to, stop and say, what's next? How do I use these gifts and move forward? And then the next thing I would say related to that would be to remember that faith is an action. So our faith is not sitting on the couch saying, well, God will bring me a job when it's time. (laughs) We're faithful in continuing to follow the process, even when the results aren't there. And that's hard. Um, But God rewards faithfulness, and so our job is to be faithful to the process and say, God, I'm going to continue in this process, and I'll trust you to open the doors when the right opportunity is there for me. Dale Cryenkamp here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Dale Cryenkamp. That is spelled K-R-E-I-E-N-K-A-M-P, Dale Cryenkamp.com. 
Well, this is the Intersection Podcast with the Executive Director of Greater Impact Ministries, Nina Rosner, who discussed the potential effects of the coronavirus crisis on marriages and how couples can address conflict integrating biblical principles. She is the author of the book, 12 Truths to Change Your Marriage. From that conversation, this is Nina Rosner now. I think the best thing that we can do, if we were commuting, you've got extra time in your day. Um, Number one, spend time with Christ every morning. Mm. And let's deepen our relationship with God. We all have extra time. So let's, let's use that time to spend more of it with Him. And I love Philippians 4, 6, which says, you know, if we would take with thanksgiving our cares and our worries to God, then he's going to give us the peace that surpasses understanding. And when we have thanksgiving, and it's hard right now for some people to look around and say, what can I be grateful for? And that ability is going to determine how every relationship goes in your life. So if we can start our day with gratitude to to the Lord and then continue that throughout the the day and then be focusing on what can I pay attention to that people are doing well, you know, in my surroundings. Hey, honey, thank you for a cup of coffee. That's great. Lord, thank you that I've got coffee, (laughs) you know, know, whatever. (laughs) The smallest of things, when we build our heart of gratitude, it changes our outlook on life. God is very, very specific about being grateful. and, And that is how we get peace. And you can't interact in a relationship in a healthy way if you're not at peace and your other person is not at peace. And so we want to create that, but it starts with us. And to have that level of gratitude, we really need the Lord's help because that's a fruit of the Spirit. We can't get there to be able to see and think rightly, you know, to be able to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, those are the fruits of the Spirit, right? The only way we get that is by interacting with the Lord on a whole different level. And now's the opportunity. Now's the time to be able to do that. In this book, 12 Truths to Change Your Marriage, tell me just a bit about how it is that you address issues relative to negative communication and how we can kind of turn that around. Well, so there's a number of things that um, we can do practically. You know, within ourselves is where we start, right? Because we can only control our behavior. Um, One of the things that people don't know is that when somebody brings a complaint to you, when you say, well, it's not that bad, or yeah, but there's this other silver lining thing you're not thinking of, we're arguing with a person. And so instead of doing that, which is just going to cause the person to dig their trench in their head deeper, right? Um, Because they want to be understood, what we need to do is go, oh, that's got to be hard. What's that like for you? And that having empathy, meeting people where they're at, and that the time to help them get out of that space isn't when they bring it to you. You have to wander around in it with them, have empathy for their situation because they've just been vulnerable and said, you know, this is this is lousy. Well, if you start arguing with them, you're gonna you're gonna help them feel that way longer, and so recognizing and validating their experience. And that doesn't mean that they're right. It just means that their experience is their experience and that it's hard for them. And so you have empathy, which we call compassion, right? That's compassion of Christ, meeting us, meeting mankind, even, you know, where we're at to communicate God's love. Well, this is one of the expressions of that, that you're, gosh, that's going to be really, really difficult. What's 
what's that like for you? And, you know, mm-hmm. how, how has this affected you? And, you know, what, what do you really need from me right now? What does support look like? And letting them know that somebody cares about their experience is really, really key. And then later, you can come back and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about that thing you told me yesterday. How are you doing with that? What's interesting is if we'll check in later, oftentimes they'll say, you know what, I feel really better about it. It's not as big a deal. And the reason that happens is because their bucket has been dumped and it's been received and accepted versus criticized and judged and argued with. So they're not still hanging on to it. And if there's still a little bit of that, you can ask them, you know, are you open to a thought I had about that? And that is very respectful behavior because a lot of times when somebody brings a problem to us or a complaint, we try to fix their problem. That's the last thing that we should do because it communicates Mm -hmm. to the person, I don't think you're smart enough to know how to handle this thing, so let me tell you what you should be doing. And that feels like judgment. It's diminishing to the other person, disrespectful. Nina Rosner here on The Intersection. The website address is greaterimpact.org. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from the Intersection Podcast. You can also find a link to the Intersection Podcast through the Meeting House homepage. It can be found in the Media Center. There's also a feed through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms. Search for the Faith Radio podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Kenny Vaughn is the founder of Shields of Strength, which are scripture-engraved dog tags which have ministered to military and law enforcement personnel. In our recent conversation, he discussed material relative to his book, The Right Fight, How to Live a Loving Life, which now has a study guide available. In the conversation, he shared about the dangers of self-love. Here now from that conversation is Kenny Vaughn. What I would tell you now is that love runs to fear and that Hmm. I run away from it. And so when Harvey came, it, it, you know, it, it was scary. And there was a lot of people in, you know, even if they weren't really about to die, a lot of them thought they were, and we thought maybe they may. And so, um, and we had the resources to help them. We had airboats and or, or a airboat, some other boats. So we got in there and started helping them. But I would say that what I learned in Harvey and I had been learning before is that when hurt comes, when fear comes, it's, it creates two opportunities. One is that fear can grow stronger in our lives, and that happens whenever we act on the fear. Or if we choose to live a loving life, if we choose to put others before ourselves in those moments, love grows stronger in our lives. And we saw that at Harvey. That was the first time I had a chance to actually see it in action, where we were going to people and helping people, 
and we were so grateful for the opportunity to help them and they were so grateful for the opportunity to have help and we were lifting each other up and, and as crazy as it sounds one of the worst experiences of many of their lives and ours became a life-changing experience that made us all better and and more selfless and so it, it was a I tell people it was one of the greatest opportunities of my life, really. And, um, and I'm so glad, you know, life creates opportunity. I used to try to create my own opportunities, but what I've learned is life and God creates opportunities for us. And our responsibility is to seize the opportunity. When we do love grows stronger in our lives, when we run from it and, and we, we put ourselves first, love begins to die in our lives and fear gets a stronghold. Mm-hmm. And so my, I guess my biggest concern right now for our country, it, what's happening, I believe, is one of the greatest opportunities we've ever had to grow closer to God and for love to grow stronger in our lives so that when it's behind us, though it may have been one of the worst things that ever happened to us, it's one of the best opportunities we've ever had, and it's changed our life for the better. Because if we don't, fear will seize the opportunity, and we won't be better for it. We'll struggle more for it until we find our way to live a loving life. How do you see that the principles that God gave you in that book, which was written several years ago, can be applied to what we're facing today? So, I mean, individually, when we're faced with fear, or when we're faced specifically with what we're facing right now, the first thing love does, I believe, is, is it seeks the truth. So we don't. If, if we just react in fear, then what we're going to do essentially is this: I'm going to do what's best for me, without regard for you. That's what fear does. That's self-love. Okay. So love always puts someone first. And so, it, just as an example, if you and I are in a vehicle, and somebody comes to the vehicle with a weapon and says, "One of you's coming with me," if I love me, I say, "Take Bob." If I love Bob, I say, "Take me." So we have, love makes a choice. It puts somebody first, and it does what is truly best, not always what they want or what 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 they desire. Because if it's not best for them, and we love them, we don't want that for them. Okay, and if we, we don't always know, but if we know and we believe we know, and if God and we know God's word, then we want what is truly best for someone else. So these opportunities come if fear is going to rule our life. All of us individually put ourselves first without regard for other people. Fear rules our life, and we love ourselves, and the roots of our life begin to decay, and fruitlessness starts becoming our destiny. But if we say, never mind me, my life is not about me. It's way bigger, and it's way more important than that. It's about God, and it's about others. And if I, and if I seek the truth, and I truly do what's best for others without regard for myself, then... Love starts taking root in my life. And when, as love takes root in my life, I become a blessing to other people instead of hurting other people. And fruitfulness becomes my destiny. Kenny Vaughn here on The Intersection. The website address is shieldsofstrength.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the president of the Parents Television Council, Tim Winter. In an analysis regarding the entertainment industry during 2020, He discussed the production of sexualized content marketed to children. 
Here now from that conversation is Tim Winter. The Cuties situation was, um, it was a huge landmine for Netflix, and rightly so. It was grossly irresponsible. Anyone dared to condemn it for what it was, which was sexual exploitation of 11-year-old actresses, sexualizing girls, and, and, and putting it out there as a coming-of-age story. Um, but uh, we were told that, oh, you don't understand that this is actually supposed to be um, a, a condemnation of, of the sexualization of children. Well, you, you don't perpetuate uh, something that is evil in order to condemn it. You, you condemn it. And, and you address it. Uh, the, the creators and distributors, Netflix uh, for Cuties, said, well, um, it won awards, and um, we, we think it's a good uh, you know, statement on society about why sexualization of children is bad. But yet they, went, they sat there and they sexually exploited those little girls in that movie, so much so that a grand jury in, in Texas actually levied a criminal charge against Netflix for sexual exploitation of children. You add to that... Other programs, mostly, not all, but mostly on Netflix, programs like Big Mouth, Baby, Desire, Sex Education. These are programs, these are programs that uh, they say, well, it's a coming-of-age story. Well, it's, it's, it's supposed to help start a dialogue. The reality is some of these programs include nine-year-old girls in sexual situations, 13-year-old boys, full-frontal nudity. I mean, it's really explicit stuff. This is not just this is not just oh, it's it's um, uh, you know it's like a, a beauty pageant where the gr- the little, little girls are wearing uh, bikinis. I mean, as wrong as that is, and we've seen those shows in the past. These are programs with full nudity, graphic depictions. Um, believe it or not, a streaming service Hulu, which is very popular, is owned by Walt Disney Company. Hulu has a show where. Uh, 13-year-old girls that are played by adult actresses, but they're 13-year-old characters, are are engaged in sexual um, uh, conduct in front of their laptop computer screens. And this is a company that's owned by Walt Disney. This is something that really has now, I think, uh, it's it's um, it's become a, absolutely critical, critical that we as a society say the sexual exploitation, the sexualization of children for the sake of entertainment must not be allowed to stand. We must stand up and, and, and force those to be held to account for doing this. The question has to be, where's the accountability? Now, I've seen headlines, Tim, that that Netflix is, is shedding subscribers at a pretty significant rate. So tell me about uh, the, the accountability as you see it. It's interesting. I've been with the Parents Television Council now. I've been so fortunate to be here. I'm in my 18th year, uh, my 14th year as president. And, you know, when I joined the Parents Television Council, broadcast television was really the way most people got their entertainment. Uh, and you could talk to the advertisers, the sponsors of the programming, and, and make sure that they knew what they were putting their, their, their dollars and their brand next to. And we would see advertisers say, wow, we didn't realize we're going to pull our dollars away and shows would get canceled. Then uh, people started watching more and more cable. And the same thing was true there. You still had advertisers mostly helping to underwrite those programs. When the advertising dollars would go away, those shows would, be, would either have to be toned down or they'd be canceled. Now we're in, in, a, in a new frontier. Uh, Netflix does not have advertising at all. So we have to find ways where are the economic leverage, the economic levers we can pull as advocates to, uh, to hold them publicly accountable. 
you know, the old adage of follow the money. It's still very, very true. And what happened with Netflix when, when they did this cuties uh, program, I don't know what the number was, but I know a lot of Americans and actually people around the world as well. It was an international program. Um, a lot of people said, I'm not going to allow my subscription dollars to be paid for the sexual exploitation of children. And many people canceled Netflix. And you saw their, their subscriber numbers go down. Their stock took a huge hit. I think it went down like 10 or 11% or something like that. And um, it has yet to, it is, it's still down from, where, from its highs. So uh, we believe that holding shareholders accountable, holding investors accountable, holding corporations, executives accountable through public pressure, public scrutiny, and if they're violating the law, which, which at least one jurisdiction believes they have, making sure they are, are, are charged, le- charges are levied. Uh, this is how we as, as parents, as families who are fed up with this stuff, can push back successfully. Tim Winter here on The Intersection. The PTC website is parentstv.org. We are nearing the end of this edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. There's a link to the Intersection podcast through that homepage. You can also find it in iTunes. Plus, two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.